Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The Bucks are headed to the playoffs for the first time since 2007. Haven't said that in a while. And if they beat the Falcons on Sunday, they're the number five seed in the NFC. Where will they be headed then? Well, the NFC champ, either Washington, Dallas, or the New York Giants. And if they lose, everything could change. But Tom Brady in the offense is on fire. 65 points in the last four quarters. He's played more than 660 yards passing and six touchdowns. We'll talk Bucks and the playoffs with Joey Knight of the Tampa Bay Times, and Nikita Kucherov, he's out for the season, and the Lightning make a big trade to get some more salary cap relief. We'll tell you what that means on this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, along with producer Steve Versnick. Hey, friends, uh, you know, Christmas may be over, but if you didn't get what you liked, or maybe even if you did, you might not check out our friends at Old Northeast Jewelers. They have two locations now. You know all about the original store on 4th Street in St. Pete. They've been there for years. Well, now they have a brand-new store in Hyde Park. The address is 1607 West Swan Avenue in beautiful Hyde Park Village in Tampa. Now, don't forget, Old Northeast Jewelers has online consultations and free delivery to your door for all kinds of jewelry, rings, and luxury watches. And if uh, you know, you're looking for a little extra cash after the holidays, well, Old Northeast Jewelers is always buying fine jewelry and luxury watches. You can trade uh, any of those pieces in and maybe get something very brand new for yourself or your loved one. Go check out Old Northeast Jewelers, two locations, the original store on 4th Street, St. Pete, and the brand new store in Hyde Park at 1607 West Swan Avenue. All right, Joey Knight joins us now, my colleague and uh, partner in crime here on the Bucks Beat. So, Joey, we'll get to uh, the Bucks making the playoffs, breaking that 12-year drought with the, the big win of course 47 to 7 over a depleted Detroit Lions team not an insignificant accomplishment to, to say the least but what we know as we do this podcast is that the Bucks have a chance to lock up the number five seed all they have to do is win on Sunday against the Atlanta Falcons and they are the number five seed um, they still could be the number five seed even if they lose but it would take a Seattle loss to the Cardinals and if they lose and Seattle wins then they are the sixth seed but Pretty good position for the Bucks, all things considering. They don't win the NFC South. Of course, the Saints clinch that. Um, but if you have to go on the road throughout the playoffs, and they will, it, it looks like the place to start would be against the NFC East champion. Right. NFC East champion is a very relative term, Rick, uh, considering yeah. how weak that division is. But, yeah, there's still a lot to play for Sunday for Tampa Bay. Obviously, the win at Detroit is something you want to celebrate for a period of time, 24, 48 hours. The team hasn't reached the playoffs in 13 years, and we know they have bigger fish to fry, considering everybody they brought in and what they're playing for this year. But that's something you stop and observe and you celebrate, and the Bucks have. But they're going to get back to work early this week because there are some individual and team things still to play for Sunday against the Falcons. You, you laid it out about them needing to win to secure that number five seed. And certainly you want to start the playoffs at a place such as 
Washington or, or Dallas, which obviously both those teams have, have sputtered with some injury issues at quarterback. That's where you'd ideally like to start out. So, you know, you want to lock up that number five seed, but also from an individual perspective, they want to get Mike Evans th- this record. He is 40 yards from another thousand yard receiving season. And as we wrote about in TampaBay.com and Sunday's editions, he would be the first player in NFL history to begin his career with seven consecutive thousand yard receiving seasons. You know, he's 40 yards away and darned if I didn't think he was going to get it Saturday for a time. He came in 221 yards shy going into Ford Field and by halftime, it looked like he was going to get it that day. And Bruce Arians told us, you know, at the end of the game, they wanted him to get all 221 against the Lions so they could rest him against the Falcons. But he's 40 yards shy and they're going to do their darndest to uh, to get Mike those final 40 yards Sunday against the Falcons. So considerably a lot to play for, you know, in this final week of the season, even though a playoff berth is clinched when you talk about seeding and when you talk about individual milestones. Yeah. And I thought it was really interesting to see them kind of go after that record. I mean, obviously they started out the game, you know, trying to win and and look sharp. And uh, Mike was certainly a big part of that. I mean, we'll get to Tom Brady and just what he has done in the last really four quarters that he's played but he had the four touchdown passes and the five scoring drives in the first half, you know, on Saturday. Uh, and, and it was, you know, it was impressive the way they did it, but Mike Evans came alive and, and he's been doing that. You know, I think joy for the longest time, his season has been one of just pure injury. Um, I yes. remember, you know, from the first game of the season against the New Orleans saints going uh, to new Orleans. And I was out there early to watch him as I did several times this season with Bobby Slater, their trainer, uh, at that time, you know, it was a hamstring injury. Later on in Chicago, it was an ankle injury. And there were games, including, I think, the Bears games, where Mike Evans, by rights, probably should not have played. But as he has said, that's my job. My job is to play. And he has been a warrior that way. I think for the first time in quite a while, though, he's starting to feel better, you know, as are a lot of guys are starting to get a little bit healthy after the bye week. Um, they've had some time now. Some of those injuries are starting to abate just a bit, I think, Bruce Arians has done a good job of trying to give these guys their legs back in practice. There's not many full speed practices, doing a lot of walkthrough type stuff. So Mike Evans looks fresh and he looks, you know, like he like he's always been. But it's it's such an incredible record to think that, you know, when you can do something you know, in the NFL these days that has never been done before. And right now he ties the record with really his idol, Randy Moss, um, you know, for six straight 1,000-yard seasons. It didn't look like there was any chance he was going to reach this milestone. And yet here he is, and he's almost certain to get it if if he's able to stay healthy long enough. Uh, and I would imagine they'll target him pretty early and often uh, against the Atlanta Falcons. So that is something to play for. And I'm sure that if you're Bruce Arians, you know, you do want this number five seed because, um, you know, presumably whoever the NFC – East champion is they're not going to be very good you mentioned the quarterback troubles that they're having in Washington Alex Smith has been unable to play um, right. Dwayne Haskins has been just a an abomination on and off the field lately <laughs> uh, they've got all kinds of issues there uh, and, and then you know the the New York Giants and or the Dallas Cowboys are just hoping um, you know that that the Redskins trip up and then the winner of that game uh, would then become the NFC East champions but both of them uh, also have had issues, certainly the Dallas Cowboys at quarterback now with Andy Dalton. 
uh, backing up after Dak Prescott. So these are these are the lesser of you know of all the of all the champions, and yet you can't take anything for granted. I mean, the Bucks. The reality is they're going to have to go on the road. And we talked about this. I wrote about it in the Tampa Bay Times. The good news for for the Bucks has been that they've been a very good road team. They're six and two. They've won five in a row. They lost two of their first three road games. And I think Bruce Arians made a really good point about how they had to learn to play without a crowd. And yeah. you know, it can be your biggest. It can certainly be your biggest ally because when you go to these, you know, these venerable stadiums where you know the energy and the building is is as much an opponent as the team you're playing, that is not the case. But what has been a problem is trying to create your own momentum, trying to create your own energy. You can't feed off the, you know, us against the world mentality because there's nobody there. You're like playing in a parking lot. So um, I think they have done a better job with that. And, you know, if ever a team, and Tom Brady hasn't done this, but if ever a team were going to go the tough road, uh, you know, on the road as a wild card team and make it back home in this case to the Super Bowl, this would be the year to do it. No, no question. And you know, that's the the road thing is something you know I hope to address later in the week in TampaBay.com because you know I heard the same thing you heard from Bruce Arians and I thought I, I didn't give it much credence when he said it earlier in the season. Then you start thinking about it. You know, no crowd there. If you're home, you're feeding off the energy of the home crowd. If you're on the road, mm-hmm. you're feeding off the hatred. You know, that, yes. that pumps you up in a different way. And it's just been mm-hmm. non-existent mostly at a lot of these places. A lot of these places they go, there's not a fan in the stadium. So that's a very valid point. Um, and, you know, but let's not overlook week 16 or week 17, I should say. Also, we talk about what the playoff road's going to look like. The Atlanta Falcons aren't going to lie down. Bruce Arians made that point also Saturday afternoon. And we saw that Sunday. You know, the Atlanta yeah. Falcons gave the, the reigning world champions everything they wanted had it not been kind of for a, a fluky missed field goal in a, in a nasty win there in the, in the final seconds. Atlanta's playing for overtime against the Kansas City Chiefs. They're, they're not going to lie down. They're not going to just give Mike Evans the record. So, again, just to reiterate the point, there's, there's a lot to play for Sunday against a Falcons team that's obviously not going to lie down. And, you know, we, we've talked about Mike Evans. There's still a lot on the line. And, and Lord knows that's what Tom Brady told us in the, uh, in the Zooms after the Lions game. <laughs> we were trying to get him to talk about, you know, what this means for the veteran Bucks players and what it meant to him to help this team get over the hump. And all he wanted to talk about is, seemingly hey i'm just thinking about atlanta let's move on to atlanta i wonder where we've heard that kind of kind of rhetoric before but you know that's that's who tom brady is but uh, again there there's some significance around the atlanta falcons on on sunday afternoon there really is and and you know yeah that belichickian tape that has been ingrained in him (laughs) for 20 years has been something that he's adopted and done very well with and you know we even asked him you know how do you feel for the players on your team that have never experienced the playoffs to be able to at least, you know, clinch this opportunity. And he didn't even want to go there. I mean, he wouldn't mention right. anybody's names other than the guys that had all made plays. And then he calls them off like Santa's reindeer, but it wasn't really, you know, um, he, he just, you know, that that's the singular focus and maybe in a good way, maybe in a right. way that, that this Bucks team needs, you know, not to get over their skis because the fact is, 
you know, there's a lot of guys on this football team that have been a fixture, starting with Brady in the playoffs and Rob Gronkowski and Antonio Brown and uh, Shady McCoy. And, you know, there you could name a lot of players uh, where this has been more the norms in, in their careers. But for the balance of this team, that's not been the case. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure that that focus is something that, you know, he's brought to them you know, each and every week. But, man, um, there's got to be a time to, to stop and smell the roses a little bit here, maybe a couple hours after the game anyway, and then get right back at it. But you're right. I watched the Kansas City Chiefs have all they could handle against the Atlanta Falcons. And maybe the, maybe the Chiefs were bored. Maybe they walked out there, threw their helmets out there, and thought, you know, we're going to beat this team. they got nothing to play for. Credit Raheem Morris. And we saw this when the Bucks struggled and trailed 17 to nothing with 60 total yards in the first half a couple of weeks ago in Atlanta. But they're playing very, very hard, and, and, and they are a handful. And if they get Julio Jones back or somebody else, um, they're going to be tough to beat. You're going to have to earn it. I think it's a good thing, though, Joey, that there is – something on the table, right? That 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 right. not everything is wrapped up for this football team. And, you know, there is a big sort of rest versus rust um equation you have to deal with when you get to the to the seventeenth week of the season sometimes. You'd hate to lose anybody. You'd hate to lose Tom Brady or Chris Godwin or Indomicon Sue or any of your, you know, your go to reliable players. You'd like to be able to rest a few that are also nicked up um for sure. But I do think that, you know, playing to win, uh, having needing to win keeps the same mentality as, you know, for, for the 17th week and, and helps you go into the postseason. I've seen it blow up in their faces before with this very football team. Now, it's been a long time because they haven't mm-hmm. been in the playoffs in 12 years. But I watched Tony Dungy rest players um, and, and it was hard, the, the you know, a week later um, – for them to kind of get back into the flow of things. So as hot as they are, I don't think it's a bad thing that they have to play to win. No, I don't either. And we could deliberate the rust versus rest thing all night long. There, there's a, you know, there's a million valued valid arguments for both sides of that. And I think if, and when Mike Evans gets that 40 yards, he's out of there. He's he's done for the rest of the day. You know, um, if they build up, any kind of sizable lead. I'm not talking 40 to nothing. I don't think we'll see that again, but if they build up Two, any three kind scores, of reasonable yeah. three, three touchdown cushion, you know, I think, I yeah. think we see Blaine Gabbard again, but you yep. don't want to lose your edge going into the postseason. So it's a, it's a very delicate balance. I, I agree with that. And I don't think there's necessarily a right or wrong answer, but I think if, if we start trending and seeing what we saw in Detroit, those guys are out of there. And like I said, if, if Mike Evans, if they target him early and often, and he gets, he's got forty yards at the end of the first quarter. Well, he's got a baseball cap on for the rest of the day. No doubt about that. And you know, I I will say that you can go back, you know, just a couple weeks, and that first half was so abysmal against Atlanta, um, and they really needed to turn it around. And boy, did they! I mean, the last four quarters of football, uh, they've been as hot on offense as there is in the league. Now, again, we will we will put the asterisk here. I think Atlanta played very, very hard. They were missing some players. The Detroit Lions were missing their entire coaching staff, right. uh, including the interim coach in this case. Um, they also lost Matthew Stafford really on the first series with a sprained ankle. Um, and, and their defense hasn't been good all year. I mean, they're they're just not a very good football team and, and haven't been. They've given up 40-plus points, I think, five times this year. Uh, so that that's not really a fair fight, as they say. 
However, they're professionals. You had to still go out there and execute. And what I've seen from this from this football team and from Byron Leftwich, who's been under a lot of fire um, everywhere, from me and everybody else for that matter, is that it seems as if they're starting to iron some things out for Tom Brady. And what I mean is more motion pre-snap uh, so he can get those easy tells and man coverage versus zone. Um, a lot more play action as well. They've made a little more commitment to running the football uh, and, and then, of course, hopefully running it successfully, even though they don't have Ronald Jones. I thought they got you know a little better performance from Leonard Fournette. I thought Keyshawn Vaughn did outstanding when he went in there. So those those are the things that we've sort of been talking about for a long time. And I think it's clear that, you know, Brady certainly can throw the deep ball. He's proven that. But he seems to be getting, you know, more of what he needs to to uh, to have the time to throw and not be under constant pressure. I agree. And it's funny to, to wonder if, you know, have they been waiting until this juncture of the season to start rolling some of this out when you start talk about the pre-snap motion and a little more of the play action? Have they just kind of been, you know, kind of, playing it close to the vest. I don't know. I, I don't know if that's true or not, but it does seem we're, we're starting to see some of the things that we've been so critical of not seeing. Uh, we're starting to see some of those things now and it's starting to click and darn if it isn't starting to click at, at just the right time. And that Rick also can play over to the defensive side. Uh, you know, you talked about the lions and a, and a lane duck team that lost their starting quarterback very early on Saturday uh, you know, with a, a brand new guy calling the defensive signals and just how how mediocre they've been defensively. But, you know, we're, we saw again, like we did in the second half against the Falcons, we saw what this unit can do when it deci- when it's able to pin its ears back. And this this was vintage Todd Bowl stuff. They That was the fewest yards that defense has allowed in 10 years. They allowed 186 yards to the Lions. And that's the fewest yards allowed by by a Bucks defense since 2010. Uh, the seven points, and you know, those seven points came on a return. Uh, those were the fewest allowed in the game in, in in three and a half years. So you know, we're seeing what what the defense can do when they get that early lead, when they can shut things down from a running perspective, and you know, force it force teams into into third and unfavorable distances and they can pin their ears back and get after the quarterback. So not only is it clicking for, for Tom Brady, it's clicking for Todd Bowles and company too. And, you know, just, just looking at these stats and we talk about guys who have never been to the dance before, never been to the tournament. You, you tell me, Rick, cause you've been covering this team far, far longer than I have. Is there a more unheralded Buccaneer than Will Golston who just seems to, you know, doesn't put up the, the glitzy numbers by any means, but you know, just it, it's kind of just a, a steady force there, and he gets his sack every now and then, and and just you know contributes steadily year after year. And he, he said after the game, you know, somebody asked him, you know, what what it meant to him, you know, playing for so many coaches and finally getting to the dance. And he said, I'm just I'm just grateful that they kept me around long enough that I could play for so many coaches. <laughs> and I, I thought he had a I thought he had, a, again, another very solid game. Saturday, he gets overshadowed by some of the guys around him. But you, you talk about the guys who have been doing this for the longest in a Buccaneers uniform without going to the tournament, and he's certainly one of them. And you're just happy for guys like Will Golston. 
Yeah, Will did a nice job. He was back home um, near his hometown in Detroit, went to Michigan State. He talked about the first time he was on Ford Field, was an all-star and part of a police athletic league that had practice there. Um, and, you know, was thinking about that, you know, prior to the to the game on Saturday. And uh, Will has been through a lot, not just a lot of coaches and schemes, but his own body. He's put himself through some stuff. I mean, there was a time when they thought he was a 4-3 defensive end. There was right. a time when they thought he was, you know, a three technique um, in the 4-3. Uh, now he is a 3-4 a defensive end, you know. So I've seen him through thin and thick and, and now thin again or thick again I don't know which which one we're on but um, Will has made himself into just a very solid player as you've mentioned and uh, they've needed him after losing Vita Vea they've needed contributions from a lot of guys um, you know coming off the bench whether it's Raheem Nunez Roaches we saw Jeremiah Ledbetter get in there and have a sack yeah. uh, you know there's there's been plenty of contributors uh, and they've had a nice rotation but you know, the key to their pass rush, of course, have been those outside linebackers. And, right. you know, teams teams have to pay attention to Shaq Barrett. They have to pay attention to just uh, Jason Pierre-Paul. And if they leave them one-on-one, um, they're, they're going to hurt them. They're going to wreck the game. And so that's created some one-on-ones inside for Ndamukong Sue, for Will Golston, and for some others. And, you know, now you're starting to see them get home, as well as, I've not seen this in football since I've been doing it for quite a while. Devin White all of a sudden has nine sacks on this football team for an inside linebacker uh, who has had four in the last two games. Right. What they have done when they when they see those eight-man or seven-man protections where the running back does not go out, Devin White is free to go ahead and rush the passer, and he is <laughs> finding his way through those holes um, much the way he did as a running back when he first got to LSU. I mean, he picks his way through there and and has been getting home to the quarterback. This is now something that, that once it's on tape, teams have to account for, and it's he's been a real force and, and really starting to make huge plays at huge times. Of course, he did that against Atlanta to help turn that game around a couple weeks ago. And so, you know, they're, they're starting to get what they need from all those guys uh, especially Devin White right now. He's just on fire. Yeah, four sacks in the in the last two games. And, and you mentioned that just, you know, w- when he sees, you know, that he's got a, a tailback back there trying or attempting to chip, he's got the green light to go. And, yeah. and you mentioned it. You know, they, they've picked up on that and they have exploited it, more importantly, over these last two games. And, you know, just on top of that, he, he leads the NFL in tackles, or he did at least yeah. after Saturday with, with 140. I don't know if that still stands up today, Monday, but he, he was the, he, he led the NFL in tackles and, you know, now he's got 11 and a half sacks in his career, which is not even two seasons yet. People are just, you know, people are starting to see, you know, what a horse he is quite literally and why the bucks took him in the, in the first round two two drafts ago. But he, he, he's again, you know, you talk about what the key is with those outside guys and now, you know, you've got a key on the inside w- with White. It's just a lot of different ways that Todd Bowles can come at you. And again, you know, just to just to make my initial point, we see Tom Brady and those guys clicking, and now it looks like it's clicking for Todd Bowles and company. Yeah, it's certainly a complimentary game. When you can get a lead, you can rush player, you can rush the passer. Um, they've done a great job of that. They have a chance, I think. Um, you know, certainly if they haven't already surpassed their sack total last year, they're 
at or near the top in the NFL this season, which has been great. And, um, you know, they've gotten some contributions from some guys on the backside, of course, with Carlton Davis out. Ross Cockrell has come in and played tremendous. He's been a guy yes, that's kind of a fine for them, uh, really playing solid. Sean Murphy Bunting had dropped off a little bit. His game needs to pick up. I think Jamel Dean has done a nice job. The safeties have been solid all year, I think, with Whitehead and, of course, Antoine Winfield Jr. So their defense is solid. It's, it's you know, if it's not going to be the best defense uh, maybe in the NFC when they get to the playoffs, it's going to be one of them. There's no question about that. And their offense can certainly help that side of the ball um, just by not putting them back on the field. And I guess we're done talking about the slow starts now. At least they hope so because of what they did, uh, you know, at Detroit. What's interesting, I think, is the way Tom Brady has just lit up. And we talked about maybe some of the reasons why. But what we're seeing now, Joey, is his trust. And it's his trust in in guys like guys that he you would expect them to trust. Rob Gronkowski. All of a mm-hmm. sudden, Gronk is alive. Two yes. touchdowns again the other day. Um, you know, he, he's really starting to heat up now. And then you've also seen Antonio Brown two two weeks in a row now really starting to pay off with the deep ball, um, you know, getting in the end zone all of a sudden. Uh, these are the guys that Tom Brady insisted on having, went to Jason Light, asked him to, to bring these guys aboard, and it's crunch time. It's December. Are, you know, when you're looking for guys that are used to playoffs and used to making plays in this time of year, that's a pretty good place to start. You know what? The, these coaches have told us, Byron Leftwich and these guys, that it takes time. It takes mm-hmm. time to develop a clairvoyancy with these guys, especially when you don't have a conventional offseason, which the Bucks and nobody in the NFL did. You know, they, they don't get a heck of a lot of practice time or live practice time. And it just it takes time and it takes reps to get on the same wavelength with your receivers. And now, obviously, we see all that coming to fruition here, entering week 17, like you mentioned, two consecutive weeks. Thomas found Antonio Brown in the end zone. And, and Gronk is, like you said, Gronk is Gronk. He is, he's looking like circuit Gronk 2015. And, he, you know, you talk about the interesting free agent decisions they're going to have to make here in a, in a month or two. Gronk's at the top of that list. Now, I, I don't know if he wants to play another year. I don't know if his body will allow that. But a, as we've seen, Rick, and you mentioned it, whatever Tom Brady wants, Tom Brady gets – and if Gronk is willing, I'm, I know Tom would, would want him back in, in 2021. They're going to owe him a heck of a lot of money. But that's going to be a very interesting free agent decision. But right now, he, he's just he's looking like the Gronk of 25 years of age. And, and again, we mentioned Antonio Brown. And, of course, he's clicking with Mike Evans and Godwin. It just took time. And, you know, we thought that was rhetoric when Byron Leftwich was telling us that and Bruce Arians. But... You know, it's been a couple of months now, and we see we see this coming to fruition, and he is on the same page with these guys. No doubt. Let's take a look at what's down the road here um, for the Bucks. should they win on Sunday. Of course, uh, we mentioned that they're going to play the NFC East winner. We don't know who that will be. Um, all those teams seem to have their problems, uh, starting with uh, the, Red, the, the Washington team, Washington football team, I cut myself. Um, you know, they're still searching for their quarterback, hoping Alex Smith comes back. But we know we know what that division has been. It's been a struggle for anybody to even win eight games or seven games, much less have a winning record. But somebody's going to win that division. 
They played the New York Giants. They didn't play them well up there at MetLife Stadium. That was a very physical team for them to handle. Um, And yet, I I don't think the Giants have played very well of late, to say the least. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, when I look at this NFC, though, Joey, I still think it's sort of wide open. And I say that uh, even though I have a tremendous respect for Russell Wilson, but the 12s will not be there, um, you know, and they're going to get a home game against somebody throughout, you know, at some point throughout these playoffs. It Right now, as we're doing this podcast, the Packers own the number one seed. We're watching uh, basically a snow globe uh, as the Tennessee Titans are trying to play up in this stuff. And let me just tell you, it's advantage <laughs> Packers uh, for as long as they're home. Uh, it's going to be really difficult for any team that's not used to it. Uh, you're going to have to run the ball for sure. You're going to have to be able to kick in that stuff. And we saw, you know, Ryan Suckup not be able to handle the turf very well the other day in Detroit, um, try kicking off this snow. But that's definitely a home field advantage that, that they are going to own if they're able to, to, to hang on to it. And then you've got the New Orleans Saints who, you know, they seem to be on a bit of a roll now again with Drew Brees, you know, back into the, uh, back into the fold and, and starting to heat up a little bit. Alvin Kamara had, what, six touchdowns uh, the other day. It was incredible. They look really good, and and you know we know that the Bucks have lost twice to them, um, but is you know could could they have to you know play them again, and could could the Saints beat them a third time because the the Saints have their own ghosts and their own demons they have to exercise with the playoffs with the Minneapolis miracle and the no call and all of that. So mm-hmm. look, I don't know how it ends up, but I would say that the Bucks, in addition to breaking this drought, they have a real opportunity to break another drought, and that is a playoff win which would be the first one since the Super Bowl, 37 in 2002. That's incredible when you think about it. And I I agree with you. I think this conference is is pretty much wide open. I would certainly, if I had had to pick my poison, I would rather go to New Orleans again than than Green Bay. And and you're (laughs) right. As long as as Green Bay is a host, uh, that's, that's just a dreadful, a dreadful, you know, option for anyone. Uh, yeah. We know, you know, what kind of running team the Bucks are. So that would just be a, that would be an awful matchup. But, you know, the Saints look good, obviously. Heaven Kamara, I think, just scored again. <laughs> they are who they are. But by the same token, Drew Brees is over 40 and he's banged up. So we just don't know what we're going to get from one week to the next. And the, the first game, I mean, the second Buck Saints game, obviously, that was a debacle. The first one, you know, for the most part, there, there were some mistakes. Tom Brady's first game as a Buccaneer, you know, there, there were some costly mistakes, but it, it was a competitive game. So, you know, I, if, I, if I'm the Buccaneers, I certainly wouldn't mind another trip to New Orleans. You mentioned Seattle. Seattle is who they are. Russell Wilson, obviously one of the best in the business, but they certainly haven't set the world on fire. I watched some of that game against the Rams. I, I think I don't think that offense is going to strike the you know the fear of God into anyone. And you know we could go on and on. I, the only thing they got to avoid, Rick, to me is just going to Lambeau Field. I yeah. I just don't know that anybody aside from the Packers who are used to it can can go up there and win. I'm watching the same game you are, and even even Derrick Henry's struggling. Right, exactly right. And and even though that the Bucks have beaten the Green Bay Packers, and they did it with a lot of blitzes, that kind of that kind of turf, if it's anything like it is in this game, it, it, it negates 
hates your pass rush because the footing is so bad. Those guys really can't push off and do very right. well. As for the Rams, uh, it looks like Jared Goff may have broken his right thumb. He po- popped it back into place. He doesn't look like the same quarterback and hasn't for a number of weeks. They lost to the Jets, and then again, Seattle, no offense at all. You go back and think about you know the high point of their season might have been the 51 passes he threw uh, against the Tampa Bay Bucks. I'm not sure. Uh, that he would have that kind of success uh, if they were to meet somehow somewhere down the road again. Um, so they're going to have to struggle. They may miss the playoffs altogether, as it turns out. I want to turn uh, our attention before we go, Joey, just real quick. Uh, you wrote a story in the Tampa Bay Times and on TampaBay.com about uh, University of South Florida quarterback Jordan McLeod now in the transfer portal. How surprised were you that this occurred? What's what? What is he thinking, and, and what does this say – now for that position in Jeff Scott's program. Rick, I knew something was going to have to give in that quarterback room just based on who Jeff Scott brought in. And he brought in Jaron Williams uh, from Miami, who was the opening day starter for the Hurricanes in 2019. He arrived via the portal. So that was another, that was another option they brought into the quarterback room for USF. And he also signed Timmy McLean, who's a dual-threat left-handed kid, from Seminole, not Seminole in our backyard, but Sanford Seminole up near Orlando. And he led his team to the Class 8A state title. And his stock has just kind of continued to rise throughout the course of the season. And it's kind of a coup that Jeff Scott and USF was able to hang on to Timmy McLean. So he Mm. signed. You bring in Jaron Williams. They had two freshman quarterbacks that they signed last year, Catravis Marsh and George Smith. You still, for now, I believe, still have Cade Fortin, the North Carolina transfer who's still on the roster, and Jordan McLeod. So I don't know if if Jordan saw the writing on the wall and figured he, you know, didn't have a chance to win the job. I think he's a, I think he's a competitor. Um, I think we've seen that the last two years, if nothing else, the guy has courage and he's a competitor. I, I don't know if he just thought he would be the odd man out in this sprawling quarterback derby and figured, you know, it's it's in his best interest to try to complete his career somewhere else. He has not had a lot of success as a starting quarterback at USF. That goes without saying. But what people don't realize is he's just really been thrust into some very unfavorable situations. Last year, he was really the only healthy scholarship quarterback on the roster and healthy is a relative term. People don't realize how banged up he was last year. Blake Barnett went out early with a season ending injury. The only other scholarship quarterback they had, they converted him to wide receiver in the preseason. So it was really just Jordan McLeod and he played hurt a lot of games. And even, even with that, he was still four and six as a starter last year. And then this year, a new coach, Coaching regime comes in. They have no off season. They have some very, very serious depth issues all over the place. It was just really kind of an unfair hand. But Jordan won another quarterback derby. He won the job in the preseason. He played. He played valiantly. Maybe he didn't always play well, but he played valiantly. He lost his job a couple times, regained it, and. Funny enough, his last game as a bull was arguably his best game in a USF uniform. Threw for right. a ton of yards against UCF. They darn near upset the Knights at Raymond James Stadium. And I came away from that game thinking, okay, Jordan McLeod has kind of set himself up to have a really good chance to be the starter again in 2021, just based off that performance. But 
again, they bring in Timmy McLean, they bring in Jaron Williams, and something had to give in the quarterback room. Uh, you know, in this day and time, you just don't keep four or five scholarship quarterbacks on a Division One roster, Rick. You know that. And Jordan just felt like it was his in his best interest to get a fresh start elsewhere. But he's going to benefit any team he signs with because he's a quality individual. He represented USF very well, not only on the field, but off the field, just in terms of what he did for his community and, you know, working and contributing, you know, and just uh, community service events. So I, I wish him well. I, I believe, you know, he'll flourish wherever he goes. But uh, again, that's this is what Jeff Scott has to do, Rick. He eventually, he wants to do like Dabo Swinney, his old boss, did at Clemson. He wants to recruit and develop. And if you'll notice, Clemson hardly ever taps into the transfer portal. They're all about recruiting and developing. And Jeff Scott wants to get to that point. But right now, these first couple of years, he has some depth issues. He's got to get immediate help. So he's tapping into that portal like he did last year. He's doing it again this year just to get immediate help and replenish some depth, and he's doing it. They're going to get it going at USF. It's just going to take a, a little longer than some other places, but I, I believe they're going to get it done, and you know, maybe by the end of 2021, certainly 2022, the Bulls are going to be on the uptick again. I, I, I'm really kind of convinced of that. Let me just ask you, like, McLeod did have some good tape in his best game, I thought, this year anyway. It was certainly the UCF game uh, where it was high scoring and he made plays all over the place. Um, what kind of interest would he get? Uh, in other words, are, are we are we probably, are we looking at a power five school? Do you think he has an opportunity there? Or uh, would it be maybe somewhere else in, in even the American Athletic Conference? You know, that, that's a great question. I, I don't know if we're talking power five, he will never be mistaken for Quentin Flowers. He, he just doesn't move as well as, as Quentin Flowers and those kind of guys. I think his yeah. arm has gotten much better since he's been at USF. I think his velocity has improved. and I, I think he throws a much better football than when he arrived on campus. He just doesn't move as well as some of those other guys, in my opinion. I don't know what the, what the quarterback room looks like at some of these other Similar schools, if you want to talk a parallel move, I don't know what Willie Taggart's dealing with at FAU. I know he's got his son who's a quarterback on the roster. FIU, I don't know what they're dealing with, but that's kind of when I think of where Jordan McLeod's going to go, I'm I'm thinking that level, more of a group of five place. I don't know what Toledo has, but I know who their quarterback coach is now, and it's Robert Wiener, who was Jordan McLeod's coach at Plant High School. So mm-hmm. again, I don't I don't know what their what their quarterback situation is up there, but that that may be an intriguing possibility. But when I think of where Jordan McLeod might go, it, it's kind of that caliber of school, maybe another Group of Five program. Fascinating. It's going to be a, a an interesting sort of off season for college football, which we're still not all the way through the uh, of course the the playoff series just yet. Uh, we'll see how that all turns out. But uh, in the meantime. Joy and I will be uh, covering the Bucks as we always do all week long as they uh, wrap up their regular season, the Week 17 against the Atlanta Falcons at home at Raymond James Stadium, and then it's off to points unknown. Uh, maybe Washington, where it also snows there, by the way. Um, <laughs> you, you might get a little little uh, white stuff there as well. So we'll see where the Bucks uh, wind up as they finish off their season and uh, and we get better ideas uh, about the seating. So check out Joey. 
uh, on TampaBay.com and on the Tampa Bay Times, as always. Thanks, Joey. We appreciate it. Thanks, Rick. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Steve, since we've last talked, some huge news for the Tampa Bay Lightning on many fronts, but not the least of which is their most valuable player, most valuable player in the league a, a year or so ago, Nikita Kucherov. Uh, we, we had heard that he had had uh, a bit of a hip injury. They were talking about giving him a shot. Of course, I talked about how much cortisone stinks. <laughs> well, it turns out he's actually going to have more than that, and he is out for the season. I guess there's some hope maybe that he would make it back in time for the postseason, um, but this is a big, big deal, obviously. Uh, but in a weird way, it, it also sort of helps them out a little bit with their salary cap situation, as did a trade that they made. Yeah, so Nikita Kucherov's $9.5 million salary, he goes on long-term injury relief, which means you still have to pay him his salary, but it doesn't count towards the salary cap, or in essence it doesn't. It actually, what it does is raises your salary cap so that you can go over by $9.5 million now. Right. So they'll have to pay him, but it doesn't count against the cap. They still needed to make a move or two to free up a little bit of money, one, to get under the cap, but two, to give him a little flexibility. Say... Someone like Kevin Shattenkirk becomes available like they did last year, who they didn't plan on signing, but he was cut by the the Rangers, and they were able to get him on a, a team-friendly deal because he was getting paid by the Rangers still. So you want to be able to have that flexibility. So the Lightning on Sunday night traded Cedric Paquette and Braden Coburn, plus a 2022 second-round pick to Ottawa, in return for the rights to Marion Gabrick and goaltenders Anders Nielsen. Now, both those players are injured and will go on long-term injury reserved as well, so this, the lighting will be way over the cap now, but those players won't count against it. Um, Marion Gabrick's got concussion issues, and I'm not sure what Nilsson is. but um, So Brayden Coburn, Cedric Paquette, two longtime mainstays here for the Lightning through this these playoff stretches for the last six seasons uh, are now being traded to the Ottawa Senators. That frees up salary cap space in, in that, which – at this point now, you don't have to trade Tyler Johnson or Alex Kalorn. Now, would you rather have Nikita Kucherov play and have to make one of those moves? Maybe. I, I would. I mean, I, I think when you get someone like Nikita Kucherov, you don't want to lose him. But if you are going to lose him, it does allow you to keep some of your other players who you were shopping around or potentially could have moved. So my guess is at this point, Tyler Johnson and Alex Kalorn will be on this team this year unless there's another deal that Julian Brees was is orchestrating. And I'm guessing, uh, even though Cedric Paquette has been a huge part of this team, as mm -hmm. has Braden Colborn, they've got some younger players that they're very confident in uh, moving into those roles. Well, Mitchell Stevens showed that he can play that fourth-line center role. Um, Alex Volkoff, uh, he was a restricted free agent as well. Uh, he got into one of the Stanley Cup final games, if you remember. He's... Um, he's signed a one-way contract, so presumably he'll be up here this year. And if you remember Braden Coburn, that blue line's kind of crowded, too. He had been on the bench a lot. He didn't you know, play maybe half the season last season. Um, so, I mean, Braden Coburn's one of the best guys in the locker room, and, and it, that's a huge loss as far as that goes for the Lightning, particularly. Right. I mean, he didn't play as often, but um, as just a guy in the locker room, he was loved. And Cedric Paquette, they're going to miss 
some of his grit in, in his face-off too. When, when, when he would be out of the lineup, they would suffer in the face-off department as well. So, um, you know, Mitchell, but, you know, that's part of what happens when you win a Stanley Cup and you have that many good players on your team. Eventually, everyone wants to get paid and, and you have to make some tough decisions with the salary cap. It's unbelievable. We're almost to the first of the year, of course. Uh, New Year's is this week, and before you know it, man, hockey will be back. Training camp it's, starts it's Sunday, crazy. six days from now. Wow. So on the third, and the first game is uh, two weeks from Wednesday against the Blackhawks. Just incredible, and we're hoping that they might have some fans. Of course, we know that uh, you know the Toronto Raptors playing in Emily Arena have had limited number of fans already. So uh, hopefully, as the season goes on and Maybe uh, more people become vaccinated, whatever. The CDC loosens its rules as we get on top of this virus. We'll be able to actually go see the Tampa Bay Lightning um, this season, try to defend their Stanley Cup. All right, uh, good news. Wake the kids, call the neighbors. Tom Jones, my former radio partner, longtime columnist of the Tampa Bay Times, and now with the Pointer Institute of Media Studies, will join us tomorrow to take his victory lap on the Pittsburgh Steelers. Nostra Thomas. Yes, right. <laughs> Said that they might might win one more game. I don't. I thought he, he probably believed that the Cincinnati Bengals was a the team they would beat. They he did. did st- he did state it would be the Bengals they would beat. But yeah, but they, they lost to the Bengals and they lost to the Bengals. But then they came back and trailing twenty four to seven to the Indianapolis Colts, they managed to rally and win that game. So they they have won uh, their division and and uh, look like to be yeah. the number two seed right now in the AFC. Oh, and John we'll talk- Gruden, he's out of the playoffs again. Yeah, the last two, last two seasons they've started six and four, and then they lost four of their next five, and we're out of the playoffs. Yeah, uh, it's not it's not attractive. Um, somebody made the comment. I think it was Jason Cole, he used to work for Yahoo Sports, a West Coast guy, and he said, "You know, John Gruden is becoming today's Jeff Fisher." <laughs> and <laughs> ouch, I, you know what? It's hard to argue. I mean, he does have the one Super Bowl. Um, and, you know, he did some great things with the Raiders before he came to Tampa Bay. But to be honest with you, if you look at his record, he's a 500 coach and has not made the playoffs now. Of course, he was in the booth for ESPN, so you can't really hold this against him. But as far as his coaching career goes, it's been a number of years since he's been in the postseason. This is, what, his third year with the Raiders, um, I want to say. Third and, or fourth, uh, yeah. Third or fourth. Hadn't made it there. And then, of course, uh, did not make it in 2008 and was gone before 2009 uh, with the Buccaneers. So, yeah, a lot of a lot of uh, 500 season losing seasons. So, I don't know how long how they're going to straighten that out. But they owe him a lot of money, so I don't think he's going anywhere. Um, but yeah, it was a it was a tough. It was a it was a horrible loss too. Because I mean, you know, I think he did the right thing in running the clock out, uh, kicking the field goal to go up just a couple points uh, instead of having his running back run into the end zone and turning the ball back over. But you know, then. Ryan Fitzpatrick happened, right? Fitzmagic comes in for Tua Tungavaloa, and with his face mask being pulled <laughs> what sideways, <a> throw. <laughs> it was just ridiculous. Talk about your no-look pass. He hits a uh, receiver down the field, and then, of course, the penalty sets up the field goal, and they hit it and, and win that game with uh, you know virtually, uh, I don't know what the percentage. I think oh, I think the Raiders had about a 96% winning chance at that at that point i gotta say to though lose. you know fitzpatrick throws up that wounded duck where was the defense right right you're playing cover two i mean there's no way that ball was up there for so long how could the safeties not have <laughs> had not have widened widened out and gotten in there to make a play at the very least because that was a very uh interceptable ball or one that could have been knocked away but yeah i don't they they obviously did not play a good defense and my friend rod marinelli is now the defensive coordinator because they fired 
um, their other guy. So, um, yeah, that was that was disappointing for John. But hey, he'll bounce back. Not in the playoffs this year. We'll see what happens. Uh, you know, in two thousand and twenty-one. Hey, friends, uh, before we get out of here, uh, make sure if you uh, are looking for a little cash for Christmas, or maybe something uh, to add to your collection that maybe you didn't get, you want to watch, or you want to get a beautiful, uh, I don't know, diamond jewelry piece. Go see our friends at Northeast Old Northeast Jewelers. They got two locations. You know the original store on 4th Street in St. Pete. They've been there for years. Well, now they have a brand-new store in Hyde Park. The address is 1607 West Swan Avenue in beautiful Hyde Park Village. And you can also go online. They got consultations and free delivery to your door for jewelry, for rings, for luxury watches. And if you need a little money after the holidays, who doesn't, right? Old Northeast Jewelers always buying fine jewelry and luxury watches, and you can trade in something and get something even nicer if you'd like to, or just cash. So go check them out, Old Northeast Jewelers on 4th Street North in St. Pete, and now at 1607 West Swan Avenue in Hyde Park Village. For Steve Verstick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody. 